Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. I'm your host, Jesse Nussman. And on the other line, scouting locations for his the future Sandals Resort on the planet of, or the, the moon, I should say, of Pandora. It's Hunter Heilman. In a soundstage in Burbank. Actually... Uh-huh. It's in New they Zealand. They shot it in Australia. Yeah, I was say they yeah. shot it like somewhere actually pretty. Which, have, like, at that point, it's like, why even bother? But you know, have you read the GQ interview with James Cameron? Not in its entirety. It it is just like every single quote he gives is just like the most magical, insane thing you've deranged. ever heard. <laughs> some of it deranged and some of it just like, okay, you've clearly like morphed into like old man with no filter. And some of it just sort of like, like him talking about like how him and his wife own all this land in New Zealand. And they just like, let the people like come onto the land and pick fruits and vegetables. <laughs> He's like, we're, we're at the forefront of uh getting people to become vegan and all this stuff. And I w- he, he's starting to sound <laughs> like um he's like the cooler elon musk i was gonna say he sounds like the complete um like the the dr jackal and mr hyde of like uh pulse rater <laughs> i'm just and- like getting i guess not even necessarily cooler but like getting just more open and shit as you get older as opposed to um you know crotchety and on facebook and then i don't want to ruin there's there's a story about him almost going to space that the sort of like pun not even punchline but the sort of final twist at the end of that story is one of the craziest things i think i've ever heard anyone say okay i need Um, to get on those (laughs) and it's like the final line of the of the interview um so if you haven't been able to figure out yet we're we're talking avatar the way of water the long awaited sequel to james cameron's 2009 film avatar i think probably the best place for us to start hunter is with avatar itself um a movie that i think has kind of <gasps> sorry i just read the last line of that <laughs> interview isn't it insane it's insane i remember when the i remember when that happened okay right. cool awesome please keep going yes, okay <laughs> Go read the GQ interview with James Cameron if you haven't already. It'll it's well worth. It'll be the greatest thing you you've read all year. That's what um, I'll do at work today. <laughs> um, but yeah, the it James Cameron's sci-fi epic that came out in two thousand nine. I think has had kind of an interesting life because you know it comes out Christmas season of that year and is an undeniable phenomenon is like number one at the box office for like eight or nine straight weeks becomes the highest grossing movie of all time is nominated for dozens of oscars including best picture and i think was seen as a front runner for best picture that year Uh, i was really surprised i remember when hurt locker won that year i was like what the it it, it was it was most people I knew definitely thought that like Cameron was taking home a second Oscar. And I mean, it won three, but then, you know, in the years since has had, you know, even after it came out, there was sort of the, the backlash and then the backlash to the backlash and the backlash to that backlash. Well, when something is that popular, right. Some people are going to immediately jump on that shit. And like, you know, I've seen a million and a half different camps for avatar over Mm -hmm 
what feels like a million and a half years of like it's stupid but then it's like no actually it's not stupid it's actually all this well it's just pocahontas or like fern gully or something it's like yeah but like most and then people story, saying like, like but that's archetypal and like that's you know so there's the thing most of like movies right, it's like star but, wars is archetypal yeah and but then it's you know obviously gets to the like well it has had no cultural footprint and it's like but has it not though right i feel like that was sort of the take on it for years and years this thing that was like a huge phenomenon when it came out but then kind of like no one really remembers it and then it's it's a little bit understandable if it's not a movie that has listen it, I'm it's not, not a movie that has like huge quote like very iconic quotes or iconic characters but then like i feel like in the last couple months since leading up to this sequel you know, it got re-released in theaters, reclaimed its status as the the highest grossing movie ever, and like made money at the box office. And it seems like people have kind of started to come around again to being like, no, you know what? Pretty good movie, actually. Yeah, listen, I'm not trying to be a bitch or anything, except I am. Um, people, <laughs> a lot of people measure um, cultural footprint in those kind of things of like, how much do we quote it? How much do we know the main character's name? How many t-shirts do we wear of it? And it's like, okay, cool, whatever. It's not a Fender's movie. Um, or like, whatever. But I think what Avatar did for like large scale filmmaking. Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, he did that with Titanic too. It's like every couple and years he Terminator comes in and it's just and like, let and... me just set the bar for y'all so y'all can continue to try to reach it. Like, right. um, and I'm not even like, well, I, I do quite like James. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it sets it in far, it sets a bar in a way that I don't think any other movie since then has, at least in that sense of like, got a fire lit under every other studio's ass to start kind of like putting a little bit more effort into their big budget stuff. I think that is more of a cultural footprint than someone wearing a t-shirt from Hot Topic with like Jake Sully on it. Yeah, and it's it's weird. I think the the immediate trend that Hollywood took was sort of the wrong one, which was like, let's double and triple down on 3D. Like everything's going to be in 3D. And that kind of like fell apart after a few years when I don't Which know Which is a that... shame because some of some god damn it, some of those movies in 3D are just spectacular. I mean I mean there every now and then you would get a gravity or a Hugo or a uh, life of There's Pi more that... than that, honestly, that really do benefit from 3D. It's just people didn't see them in 3D because they were over it by that point. Mm -hmm. You know, I my relationship with Avatar is I, you know, was really into it when it came out and then kind of didn't watch it for well over 10 years and then i weirdly enough i did not go and see it when it was re-released a couple months I ago um i watched it on a plane about a year ago and it was a very long flight and so i was like it, this is as good a time as any to revisit this before the new one comes out and even watching it on that kind of like tiny little american airlines screen had a pretty good time with it you, you know? were on a long flight if american airlines was giving you a screen <laughs> yeah. they don't give anyone those anymore sorry i'm getting like plain nerdy right now please keep going it was a it was a cross country was flying from north carolina to california and needed some some way to kill three hours and james cameron picked up the baton 
you must have been on one of them old like A320, A321s or A319s because <laughs> they do not fly those anymore. They got rid of it. They said bring your own tablet. <laughs> so, I mean, even just watching it on that that small little screen, you know, is it is it in the top tier of James Cameron movies? No. No. Is it is it a movie that is without its faults? No. But I I was pleasantly surprised revisiting it. I I thought it was not going to hold up and, or was no, going to be it, the thing of like Oh, uh, well, I guess like, you know, it you can only really get the power of it from seeing it in a movie theater. And to some extent that is true, but was kind of pleasantly surprised of like, no, this is a pretty well-made, efficient action adventure blockbuster um yep. and is I I had a entertaining time revisiting it even if it was not a movie i think i had thought about much in about like 10 years or so yeah so i went and saw it when it was back in theaters um it was the weekend after i kind of like went through something very heavy with one of my friends and Mm -hmm. i had the option i was like do i see avatar do i see don't worry darling and i was like i need to see something that might put me in a good mood so let me go Mm -hmm. see avatar and i got like pretty low seating in like full imax 3d i saw it in imax 3d when it initially came out but again i remembered it being like an incredible experience but since then i hadn't really like experienced it in that full you know scope and i was 13 at the time so i don't have those like full concrete memories of like exactly what i felt at exactly what moment so like get through the 20th century studios logo and i'm like okay cool that opening shot of Pandora, like when you come in and like mm-hmm. that music kicks in, it's overwhelming mm-hmm. when you're that close to a screen that takes up the whole screen in IMAX and shit. And it was, I really came back around to it when I saw it in theaters again. I was like, ah, wait a second. I see. I see. Yeah. It's stupid. It's got silly oh, moments. It is an undeniably corny, corny movie. Stephen Lang, I mean, so what I'm really glad about in this one is that they kind of learned a little bit what worked in the corny sense and then what didn't, aka just cutting Giovanni Ribisi out for the most part. Um, he's a really bad in the first one. Um, but like Stephen Lang's a hoot though, mm-hmm. while being corny. But you know, James Cameron never has been the best screenwriter. And we're going to keep returning to that sentiment a couple times throughout this episode. Um, I would I would argue dialogue is maybe is not his strength ter- as a screenwriter. It's no, it's really bad. I'm like, I've heard like rumors that you don't have great interpersonal relationships with people in your life, and you know what? I believe that. I have proof here that you don't know how to talk to people, and that's okay. But maybe we need to bring in new screenwriters. Maybe maybe you can just get story credits, or maybe they can do rewrites, or, you know, um, that isn't, you know, Rick Jaffa and Amanda Silver, that aren't the, you know, writers of Jurassic World. Because that's not going to get you anywhere either. Well, so... After years and years of hype, um, and seemingly every time it got pushed back, a new sequel would be added. We we finally have the the long gestating av- second Avatar movie, 
Every um, time someone says it has no cultural footprint, he adds one more movie to it. Exactly, pretty much. Um, but what what is he up to now? He wants to do like he he's seven. Basically, he's basically said in interviews like I mean he says in the GQ interview like I'm have, doing this until I die. Right. He's like I have no interest in making movies that are not set in the Avatar universe anymore. Which um, is kind of like a little disappointing because like I don't know. I feel like James Cameron has such potential outside of the Avatar universe. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd love to see him do another R-rated blockbuster. Sure, yeah. But at the same time, he has a good thing going here. Yeah, he he seems to be like, I'm set for life. I feel really passionate about this world. I think he's also really, pa- he, you know, he is clearly like a, you know, environmentalist hippie at heart. And I mean that in the most, like, sincere way possible. And, you know, he clearly is, like, very passionate about the the message of these movies and and thanks you know he has said like that is sort of the driving force for him to keep making these is that you know that they are these sort of big spectacle sci-fi movies but are like very connected to something that he feels really passionate about um and i think in kind of like getting our general thoughts about this new one at least for me I, i i don't know about you i walked out and i think it is certainly a movie not without its flaws like the first movie but i had a really fun time and i think the thing about it the thing about it i like the most is you know when we're talking about these kind of big studio blockbusters most of the time you know they're based on something prior or you know it's it's the most creative control you get is it's like oh it's denis villeneuve's take on dune it's Matt Reeves's take on Batman. But this is a case of like warts it's and all his universe. Right. Warts and all. This feels like the total vision of some guy who like loves reading who's like a gearhead that loves reading like popular mechanics and loves going scuba diving and like I said is like a big environmentalist at heart and just loves his family so much and when he talks to his kids whenever I'm sure they bring friends over he kind of talks to them in this like outdated like 90s skater voice and you you know this all feels like a movie that is like the collection of interests and cameronisms right and cameron this all feels like this comes from the mind of someone who is like an amalgamation of all of those things that i just mentioned and that's rare for like a big blockbuster of this size quick uh quick aside um the other day i was talking to someone because we were talking about like scary ocean shit Mm -hmm. we were like yeah like the deepest point is like 30 something thousand feet deep and they're like oh wow like no one's ever been there right i was like i don't know actually and i looked it up and it's like two people have been there this like really dedicated scientist and james cameron (laughs) and i'm pretty sure in the not to keep going back to the gq interview but cameron kind of like throws some shade at that guy being like he doesn't know what he's talking about i've been deeper (laughs) of course of course like why wouldn't he but it's fine um no i agree i kind of i so i i'll be honest i didn't love way of water as much as i did the first one at least in the sense of first viewings okay i obviously i'm i have to go back and see it at least one more time before it leaves theaters um but um it's still i mean just as an experience so i i do have to ask what Mm -hmm. format did they show it to you in 
Yes. Yeah, so th- this will be very important. And, and I think we should kind of get through kind of like the big kind of like plot and themes of the movie. And then maybe okay. we can talk about okay. like technical stuff. But Absolutely. I, I, the screening that I went to, they showed it to us in 3D with the sort of high frame rate added which we we will we will get more in depth and i think have a fun conversation and talking about like the the sort of technical choices that cameron makes in this movie and the sense that he is both i think kind of trying to push the bar in terms of what you can do with digital photography and digital filmmaking while also the limitations of some of that stuff and maybe you you know that some of that technology maybe yeah. not being as fully sort of like ironed out as maybe he hopes. Um, and I probably say that while James Cameron is going to bust into my apartment and like throw a Navi spear into me. As I say yeah. Um, so they're screening in Dolby and uh-huh. I was like, okay, cool. Dolby. I was like, that, that sucks. And they hand me 3d glasses. They've never done 3d at Dolby before. Um, no one told me it was in high frame rate. So I already was like scared. And then that Fox logo comes on and high frame rate and I am bugging. I'm fully gripping like the thing, like the armrest of my seat. Like I have made a mistake. So I'm going to do my best to kind of um, summarize what happens in this movie or kind of the general arc of this movie. Cause it's a lot. And please feel free to like hit the buzzer. If I don't do three uh, hours and a good 12 job. minutes worth. Yeah. Um, that being said, I, only five paragraphs worth of um, information on the Wikipedia page. So if that tells you how much, um, I don't want to say style over substance because like there is substance here, but sure. it's a lot of style. I I think the one last thing I'll say before kind of jumping into the plot of this movie is, and I, I enjoy this as also like an old master kind of coming off the bench to show the new kids how it's done. Like, you know, it's very much so like his other, like other sequels. Yeah. Like a Cameron sequel has these like elements that like, like, oh, I see the T2 in this. I see the aliens in this i see mm. i saw a lot of aliens in this it's it it is funny how this kind of also going back to kind of like all coming from one mind it you know it has little bits of all of his movies like there's yeah. obviously like stuff with the marines that's like very very aliens and some of the like tech that they're using there's like the whole climax of this movie feels very titanic to me there's a lot of the underwater stuff is very much like the abyss there's yeah. kind of the uh, the when we get into the plot of this movie, the idea of like this kind of unstoppable force coming after this family is very Terminator. So, but it doesn't feel like it. Never for me felt like him kind of cribbing from his other movies. It felt like no, of course this is just like the stuff that like lives inside of his head always that he just thinks is cool and like cannot help but like returning to these same like themes and visuals and ideas. If you had as much money as James Cameron and as much creative control as James Cameron, where he can walk into Disney and say, you will do this for me. And they're not going to question it. If you are 68 years old at that point, ready to just like do whatever, why wouldn't you? I mean, it's just like when people kind of complain about like, Oh, all Paul, Sh- Paul Schrader keeps making the same movie over and over again. And I find something kind of like 
giddy and kind of like he's too damn old funny. to be doing new shit do you right? think he it's wants like, to come in and do new stuff it's like i love that he's kind of just like nope i'm just into the kind of this one story i want i want cameron i want cameron to do like an in-between avatar movie that's just like a like a a24 mumblecore drama and everyone's just like because then at that point it would shut everyone up about do something different <laughs> but i all i you know i'll i'll say this old master thing like i don't I don't want to, you know, harp too much on, you know, something like Wakanda Forever. Because I, I know that's a movie that kind of had an impossible task ahead of itself. And, know, and but it's and, so easy. And Ryan Coogler is a filmmaker who I feel very invested in and and want great things for. But there's there's a way that, like, that movie, which is not as long as Avatar, but is almost three hours long, you know feels kind of weighed down at a certain point because of all it's it's throwing out so many more characters and has so many more subplots and is trying to set stuff up for future marvel movies in a way that kind of drags the movie to a halt in places and and makes it feel less propulsive and a way that you know we've talked about a lot of times on this podcast about how the set pieces in those marvel films can feel very much like, oh, you clearly just shot that on a soundstage or like a like right lot. down the block from you, like right. that kind Here of like in Atlanta in a parking yeah. lot somewhere. And yep. it's not like it's not like Avatar doesn't have those things. Like it's not like James Cameron is has made this sort of tight ninety minute, you know, precise action movie. It's not like he's someone who's like, I need to go out into the world because real world locations are so much better. Like. This is a movie that has way more characters than the first movie, has way more subplots, and is setting stuff up for future movies. But it's setting but, up for one next movie, not like right. five different TV shows and four, you know, other movies. It's like, we're setting Avatar 2 up for Avatar 3. Or, or it's That's not, it. it's sort of like, it's not like those things exist, but the they're not holding the movie back. The movie still has this sort of propulsive feel yep. to it. And, you know, as you said, as we kind of said earlier, this this is a movie that is all shot on sort of green screens and sound stages, but it it feels like it's out in the world and there's a sort of like a texture and a tactility to it and you feel like Pandora is a real place. And so, you know, I say that not to sort of like say like Ryan Coogler is a bad filmmaker because he's not a bad filmmaker. He's an incredible filmmaker. But to say, to say that like it is a testament to how great james cameron is at making this kind of movie this is a but, guy who has made this kind of movie dozens of times before yeah. and the sort of effortlessness at which he's able to give you this sort of like big cgi spectacle that has all that you know it is not as though it does not have all of the sort of things we normally complain about in these kind of blockbusters it's just that those things don't seem to be holding this movie down and it is sort of like pushing through and still delivering you a sense of of spectacle that you know these things sometimes kind of aren't able to fully give to the finish line well listen this is what i feel in that so a avatar had so much more production time mm -hmm. so much more production time because avatar again is not in this universe they don't have to like hit deadlines and churn out you know six different movies a year so they can like line it up with all of the tv shows that have to come out and all of that shit too so there's not that b 
comparing Ryan Coogler to James Cameron is, uh, I wouldn't say unfair necessarily, because they are operating for the same studio to produce similarly scaled movies. Avatar is a lot bigger than Black Panther, obviously, but still, regardless. That being said, Ryan Coogler started as a smaller filmmaker doing drama films and then kind of worked his way up to Black Panther and then got like really thrown off obviously by a million and a half different things during Black Panther's production but there's just like I hate using these words because they're so stupid and they're so subjective whatever but when you watch something like Avatar there's Yes, they are similarly shot in the sense that it's a lot of green screen, it's a lot of visual effects, it's a lot of this, it's not practical. But there's just a life to it, I guess. Like, everything feels alive and moving and, like, an entire ecosystem of stuff. It's not like, let's do this fight on a single ship in the middle of the ocean for the third act because we can build that on a soundstage and just, like, CGI everyone in. It's just, there's just this level of kind of forethought that I think, A, comes from both Cameron being just a more accomplished filmmaker. That's, you know, Cameron's just one of the most accomplished in the world. And B, having the time, freedom, and obviously the power, because James Cameron obviously has way more power than Ryan Coogler does in the industry, to actually be able to take your time. Which, for movies like this, I think you should be able to, but... Um, Fortunately, movies like this have now become um, an industry and a and a uh, an assembly line. And unfortunately, yeah. Avatar is not necessarily an assembly line type of movie. When Black Panther, even in its kind of like pause to really reflect and kind of give this whole thing on mortality and such, kind of was. Yeah, and and again, I don't, I don't say these things to sort of pit one movie against each other or to pit no, one filmmaker no. against each other but but in if only to emphasize that these kinds of movies are hard they're really really hard yeah. to make and so it's it is a testament to Cameron's sort of experience and expertise at making this kind of movie that yeah. this one feels so effortless yeah. But also again it just comes down to like if we stop churning out 200 million dollar movies like six times a year under the same series so you can hit deadlines and shit maybe just maybe everything will kind of flow together better when you give matt reeves the time to make a batman movie without having to worry about like how it fits into the rest of the universe you get something as good as that it's just one of those things of like you like you get from the filmmaker what the studio gives and I think Fox gives really well to James Cameron. I think Warner Brothers gave really well to Matt Reeves. I just don't think Marvel has given particularly well to Ryan Coogler. Or not even that, but just like any filmmaker. I mean, the best director of two years ago directed a Marvel movie last year, and it was not good. So let's let's attempt to kind of wrestle the, the epic three plus hours of of avatar i think we can kind of break it into okay thirds. avatar one but again and in water <laughs> i mean that kind of is it which is sort of why like it's oh it's, plus it, kids yeah i mean it's interesting like i've heard you and and one other person say like oh they like the first one 
better and i've it seems weirdly enough that like the take online i've seen most is people saying like they like this one better than the first one i kind of walked out feeling like oh it's about the same and they're you know they're both kind of in that mid-tier of james cameron movies for me and uh, but you know because they are like so similar in so many ways but um i guess important to point out uh i guess if you haven't seen avatar since it came out um that movie ends with sam worthington's character jake sully uh being fully kind of downloaded or his his conscience sort of fully transferred over to his his avatar navi body and the humans are driven away from the moon of pandora um this movie opens with i i i have to say i thought the one part of this movie that was a bit of a struggle for me was kind of the first hour if only because that first hour i think is the sweatiest part of the movie we have to catch up it's taken 14 years right right It, it is a lot of like either we need to kind of yada yada or really hold the audience's hand to kind of catch up like what has happened because this this sequel is set 10 years after the first one so jake is it 10 years yeah i I believe that's what they said it's set more than a decade okay because i was about to say because they had to be like because some of their kids are well i don't know how navi age never mind that's true uh, we're, say, we're no, we're like, not experts them, in Navi biology. I was like, some of them kids are like teenagers because they're like, hey, look, we got this boring white teenage kid, but then we have like the other kid, and then we have Sigourney Weaver kid, which we'll get to. We'll get um, to. <laughs> but yeah, so so uh, Jake Sully now played by Sam Worthington now fully in his Navi body and is married to Natiri, the uh, kind of forest princess played by Zoe Tal- Saldana. Uh, they have three kids now um they have four two te- well well three biological um kids. no no Wait, no 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 we're not we're not gonna sit here and say that the adopted one is any less of their child okay Adop- okay i they just have feel four like kids. that needed to be fully explained a bit more so they they have four kids they have two teenage boys they have a uh, a daughter and then they have an adopted teenage daughter who um th- this is one of those sections where you're gonna need to like hit the buzzer if i don't explain this correctly because i'm the movie even kind of yada yada is this bit of <laughs> this it's, bit a in the t- movie. it's a tough <laughs> bit of plot to get around in a pg-13 movie but essentially sigourney weaver who died in the first one sigourney weaver's avatar body became pregnant it's not really explained why and no one really knows like is it a father is it like a jesus thing we're just like the spirit of awa came into her but gave birth to a daughter who is also played by sigourney weaver so it's essentially sigourney weaver playing it's a de-aged alien sigourney weaver as like the daughter of the adopted daughter of Jake and Natiri. Did I kind of explain that correctly? Because if I didn't, it's the movie like, the movie is a little bit I, sort of like, eh, we'll get to that at some point. I'm like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. You have to be more specific because <laughs> I can't sit here the entire movie and be like, did someone sexually assault Blue Sigourney Weaver? What happened? Or was like, like th- who who's the who's the father who's the other avatar she hooked up with or yeah, something yeah like okay is there like an a uh, norm i think it's norm Maybe. um or i wouldn't be surprised because as as this movie goes on and we learn this 
this sort of uh, magic child has these sort of special telekinetic powers. You think it's the, a Jesus thing? I would not be surprised if this is if this is the seed of something Cameron's going to explore in another yeah. movie. And going, I do and love that, like that. Sigourney Weaver is like an alien and de-aged in all regards, with the exception of her voice. So it's like, wow, look at this like <laughs> little golden child, like you know, thirteen year old, like coming of age girl, and then it's like, hello, I'm Kiri. <laughs> It's it's kind of sickening. It's like one of those things that if I like if I really wanted to critique it for that, sure. But like it's Sigourney Weaver. She's having a you can tell she's having a goddamn she's having blast so much fun. in this. This this is a prime example of like we kind of hinted at it earlier. This is a very 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 silly movie. Yeah. But I find something kind of endearing about how straight-faced this movie is with the the silliness or is is not there's no self-awareness about the silliness. It's just like the the it's movie earnest. knows the movie knows it's got the goods and is like we don't need to be cutesy about how kind of like crazy and sort of like super super like high sci-fi a lot of <laughs> a lot of the It's the high silly, fantasy. It's it's yeah, literally yeah. like a high fantasy high sci-fi like novel that's like 800 pages long that you like pick up and you don't understand a damn thing that's going on, but like no. you're still invested in it. It is very much so that. Um, yeah, I mean, there there's a part later in the movie where it's like we're hunting alien whales because we can extract their brain juice, and the brain juice, if humans drink it, will make them live forever. Like th- I was, this is the kind of like it, like stuff like that happens, and I almost just kind of giggled in my seat of just like, oh, he. What was ca- it Cameron called? Like does not care. <laughs> what was it called? Because I'm, I think I was like. There was a moment when I was disappointed that it wasn't called something really obvious in the I, sense of like I, yeah. I will never forget unobtainium. <laughs> unobtainium. But yeah. for some reason I could that one I was like, oh, y'all could have gone like, I don't know. Yeah. But so speaking speaking of silliness, um, and kind of really crazy things that are gonna be kind of hard to explain. So then of of course this movie needs a big bad. So the humans have returned <sighs> to pandora oh wait and we get this kind of very sweaty exposition where among the humans are avatar sort of navi clones of several of the marines from the first movie including stephen lang's character who's kind of the big bad of the first movie but died at the end so in order to clear up any confusion in the audience of like Wait, I thought Stephen Lang died. Why is there all of a sudden a Stephen Lang avatar? He wakes up in his avatar body and is handed an iPad where Stephen Lang in like the sweatiest bit of exposition is basically like, hey, so if you're seeing this, you're me or rather my conscious was put into you and this is a backup plan. We're about to go fight the Navi. But just in case I die, this is a backup plan. He didn't think he was going to die in the first one, though. Like, And it was also just sort of like, okay, so did y'all have these Avatar at the end of the first movie? Because why did they let you leave with them? It's very, very like like it is. It is very, very like handholdy, and like I said, you can really see the seams of this being an an idea that Cameron has come up with of would be a cool sort of extension of this universe. Is like oh, it's an what excuse if- to get Stephen Lang back. I've heard he's right. lovely. I've heard he's lovely to work with. So like, I don't blame yeah. him. But also, it was a little lazy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's even. 
it's fun to have Stephen Lang back while also it's kind of a cool idea of like, oh, what if the villains this time are like the humans have now turned the Avatar kind of cloning technology back on the the Navi and are like using it to hunt them. But then Cameron having to try and figure out, oh, what's a way I can kind of explain how we can do this? And you can sort it, it you know, it's very kind of straining to get to the yeah. to like put the pieces together so it makes sense. And, you know, by, by the time the movie really gets going, I sort of, you know, I was rolling with it and kind of didn't mind and was having a good time. But in in the moment, it's a little bit of like oh okay we're we're like really kind of like i can see you like kind of straining to sew these pieces of the plot together so this sort of makes sense um but essentially kind of the first hour is sort of setting up this conflict and then basically avatar stephen lang and his kind of avatar marines are then hunting jake sully and his family and they have to flee the forests um, that kind of brings us to the second hour of this movie, which is largely set among the the sort of reef people, the sea people, the this group of Navi who have evolved to have kind of gills and fins and are very in touch with the ocean, just as the, the Navi from the first movie are very in touch with the forest and Jake and Natiri and their family seeking refuge there. And most of that kind of middle hour being them kind of learning the customs of the sea people and learning to get in touch with the ocean. And it's much really in the ju- same way of like Jake learning the, the like forest Navi, like the Omi right. I, oh, that's some smart shit. I can't believe I remember oh, that. I can't. Um, I'm not going to remember any of the like names of the alien creatures. Although I do hot, hot take would would 1000% not want to live in the forests of Pandora like the forests are scary but when they go to the ocean I was like yo I'd befriend yeah. that sea dragon it's that very looks really much fun so, yeah <laughs> it's very much so like the forest of Pandora or like kind of I feel like a um like a major allusion to like Amazonian tribes sure mm-hmm. and then I think the sea people give off way like polynesian slash like maori like uh like new zealand indigenous like feelings and i'm very interested to see where it all goes but yeah that was that was definitely kind of like the jake learned the navi customs type of like segment of the movie but again it's gorgeous it's you know it's and it's peaceful it's like yes this this i think if the first hour of the movie was to me like a little sweaty and kind of I was I was having a solidly enough good time but was a little like oh I'm not sure I'm enjoying this quite I, I don't know something something feels a little off to me or like it feels like we're really kind of straining to get a sequel going here then I think hour two where it's really just Cameron kind of luxuriating in um the sort of oceans of this alien world and then the third hour which is kind of all the sort of big climactic it's the very cameron it's the very cameron thing of like oh you liked this thing watch us destroy it yeah it it is it is the third hour of this movie i think is like some of the best action filmmaking i've seen in like the last couple years i mean it it is it is a real testament to like oh yeah this this guy is like a hall of famer like 
one of the greatest action movie directors yeah. of all time. Well, it's just a, it's a, it's it, it it is a collection of really wonderful set pieces yes. that like click together really nicely. Yeah, and and, like, and I think I think that's kind of... something that's hard to. I don't want to say it's hard to pull off. It's just something we don't see as often anymore. Yeah, and I think that gets to sort of like we kind of hinted at earlier, like Cameron as a writer, like I. I 1000% agree like his Cameron as like a writer of dialogue, for example, um, is, is not the, you know, that's kind of his weakness as a writer. And sometimes, you know, he's made movies with like great characters before, but sometimes his characterization can be a little bit broad, but in terms of like writing kind of the rhythms of an action set piece, he's really good at knowing, you know, always keeping kind of the stakes stacked up against your characters and knowing how to really fluently sort of move from one set piece to the next and have yeah. it feel like very organic and not kind of like, Oh, uh, and not clunky or sort like, of like now it's bits. time to go to the, the, the fighter right. ship in which we'll be right. doing this final fight on and not leaving. Cause it's, we yes. can go beyond our soundstage. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's, it, it feels very wide and expansive and like that's really important to this universe that it it works on a level that's beyond just like standard blockbuster filmmaking but also cameron rises to that occasion really well in those moments well, I, I, I guess I guess let me ask this way. Do you, do you have any kind of like larger things you wanted to talk about with just kind of like the plot of this movie, some of the themes he's dealing with? Just just it, before we kind of toss over to talking about yeah. the more technical aspects of this movie, just aspects of the story in general that you yeah, want to talk um, about. Do you think at any point before um, the inevitable cancellation that Edie Falco's character was originally supposed to be played by Ellen DeGeneres? Oh, I had no idea. See, I had no idea Edie Falco was even in the I movie. wasn't. When, I didn't know either. When she popped up, I was like, I went, is, is that, that fucking then, Falco? <laughs> yeah, I was like, is that Carmela Soprano? And I'm then, like, is she here? Is she the new villain? And then they're like, no, it's actually still just Stephen Lang. I'm like, oh, okay, we're gonna have to uh, wait till later movies for that one. But like, I was like, huh, she's giving Ellen vibes. I guess the that- one thing I also forgot to mention is there is this character called Spider who is a- The worst part of this- movie <laughs> some people i a critic we know um really love spider and i was like I, why I, I don't mind spider it fits uh-uh. into the kind of like cameronisms of just like oh it's it's newt again like it's it's it is the the, the newt, but with spider. dreadlocks and <laughs> and talking a little bit like you know john carter and terminator 2 with a lot of the like dudes john who? and like john connor oh okay sorry <laughs> i just thought that was i was just like oh, okay i'm not one to be like hey you need to cut like especially for something like avatar it's three hours and 12 minutes long whatever i deal with that but like yeah there was a little bit of like we could cut a lot out of this movie that that seems if to we, be another bit that is to like grow into sequels because this character who is like a, ch- a child that was left behind by the humans and then sort of gets raised by the Navi. So he's kind of like an, uh, you know, an avatar version of Mowgli from the jungle book or something. And then we learn once Stephen Lang's avatar appears like that. He is essentially the, the abandoned son of Stephen Lang. And so there, there's a lot in this movie about, about family 
and fathers and their children and you know what it means to be a good father what it means to be a good family man what 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 do you think what how did you feel about sort of big jim wrapping his arms around and you know in my best dom toretto voice being like it's all about family everyone uh well sam worthington is a daddy let's be real here um no i mean i mean yeah it definitely felt I knew it was going to be that when the whole thing from the teaser trailer, which was the only reason I went to go see Doctor Strange too, mm-hmm. um, was the like this family is a fortress. I'm like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. I see what we're doing here. And I would actually say that like most, I feel like most of the screen time is with the the kids more than yeah. it is with um, kind of Sam Worthington and Zoe Saldana. I think kind of doesn't get very doesn't... much to do in this movie no she gets top billing in the movie with sam worthington and i'm like she wasn't in it that much she would I, I will say i did appreciate that cameron took zero time into getting her open mouth crying at something uh yeah like the <laughs> like i love her i love her natiri cry and it happens a lot in this movie but like you know it's she i think yeah, I agree. I think this one is definitely the setup of like, okay, here's the kids, mm-hmm. and then the next movie we're gonna maybe look back to Jake and Jake and Natiri. Is, is or... that something you're kind of like potentially excited for with with the future movies? Do you do you feel like you've kind of formed an attachment to these sort of younger characters, or did they maybe not a hundred percent? Not a hundred percent yet. I would say Sigourney Weaver's character. I definitely want to see more of. Right. Yeah. Um, and because it's Sigourney Weaver. I mean, it's Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. yeah. The little girl. She was. I felt like she was used a lot as just like a. You brought you know whatever her right. name is to this like really dangerous situation. We have to save her. She didn't really have that much to do. Maybe as she gets older, she right. can. And then the like boy like the the younger boy who like feels inadequate to the older one who like really has no personality um i don't know i like i i liked him but i didn't like you know i wasn't I enjoy- like ugh, new protagonist i, I still enjoyed wanted the it free to- willy section of this movie where the <sighs> with the sort of middle boy I like want meets, one. meets the space whale and is like yo you want to be friends and the and the whale is just like we already are homie um, i want one of those things I yeah. can fit it in my room. Um, two other people that I I, I kind of wanted to bring up are just lot, in this movie. A lot of people don't even realize that one of these people is in this movie until the credits. Um, Cliff Curtis plays the the kind of uh the patriarch of this uh of the this water tribe and the matriarch. Uh, someone I knew was in this movie, but like did not realize was this character until Me like, either until towards the like. I thought she was going to be a human movie. character. For some reason. I don't know why I thought that. I knew that she was playing some sort of alien. You know, I knew she wasn't going to be human, but because I think I had seen that photo of her in the sort of underwater mocap tank or something yeah, like that. Yeah, but I don't know what they'd be doing, how they shoot this movie. <laughs> um, but Kate Winslet basically plays the 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 matriarch of the the water people tribe um yeah she's like the natiri to the water people yeah i wouldn't say i you know she gets a ton to do but it it was kind of funny the moment the moment of this movie where i was like oh wait that's kate wit you know i kept like looking around being like who's kate winslet going to be i know she's in this movie is it like what where is she going to come in and being like oh shoot i've been looking at kate winslet for the last 30 minutes yeah i'm also also i'm gonna be 100 percent honest with you I was waiting 
all three hours and 12 minutes of this movie. All three hours of it. And I was like, when's Michelle Yeoh showing up? Where is Michelle Yeoh? Where is she in this? She's not. Oh. She's in the next one. Oh. I know. I was pissed. She's playing a human in the next one, though. So that's fun. But I was like, wait a second. God damn it. Yes, because Cameron has said he he has shot two and three simultaneous. Yeah. Um, and you know, he has scripts for more, but those will depend on how the, these sort of immediate two sequels do at the box office as to whether he makes more. Um, do you want to talk about the, do you want to get techie? Sure. Let's get techie. The filmmaking. Um, back in 3d bad. You think bad in 3d? No, back in 3d. Oh, oh no. Are you kidding (laughs) me? I was like, what a spicy take here. No, and I'm (laughs) throwing the Tabasco sauce. No, I am. I have always kind of been a 3d proponent. I'm really sad that it went away. And I hope that this brings, brings it back in a qualitative amount where it's like, not everything needs to be in 3d, but if you're going to do it in 3d, do it well, make it a thought, like a, a well thought out thing which this absolutely is. Yeah. I think I to me the most incredible thing I think from watching it. I mean, it's not just th- this is a movie I think compared to the first one is pretty much all entirely like CG mocap characters. Like there's very very little like actual humans human interaction. In this movie, yeah. Right, where the first movie felt kind of 50-50 a little bit. Um and I think in in terms of that i i don't know about you i was just so blown away not just from the kind of weird out of body experience of like realizing wait that's not a real ocean and that's not a real whale but like my my mind is completely like this place into, like, this doesn't a, exist right this is like not even in zeros not yeah. even like in a, in like a james or not a james cameron a peter jackson like you can go visit this mountain in new right. zealand good luck getting there but you can right. go visit it and feel like you're in middle earth bitch you can't find this shit anywhere yeah anywhere and, and on top of that i don't know about you i was just so blown away by the level of detail in the mocap performances, which is is so far beyond even what was in the first movie. Just yeah. the, the level of nuances captured in sort of facial expressions. And, you know, I've, I've seen interviews with Cameron talking about, like, seeing some of the tests coming back from Weta and being like, you can see what that character's thinking just yeah. through, like, their eyes and stuff yeah, like that. And it's, it's, it's honestly, like, one of the most in- incredible things I've, it it is just so far beyond i think any kind of mocap stuff that we've seen in the last 10 plus years since well, the first movie well you came have out. to remember the type of mocap shit not even mocap what the oh look at this de-aging look at this deep fake look at all of this mm. and it's like it's like look how realistic it this is and i watch it and it's the deadest eyes you've ever seen in your life like yeah. and so i think it's a mixture of like we have been served shit for the past five like five or so years Mm -hmm. and so like coming back to something that actually has like dimension and all of that in it is obviously going to make something feel a lot more impactful but it also doesn't hurt that it is genuinely objectively incredible Mm -hmm. it's like a mixture of like wow you really did that shit but also it seems even more like you did that shit because we have been mistreated in that department recently 
Yeah, it's it is I think of all the technical things he is doing in this movie, it is it is the one piece that I was sort of most that that most had my jaw just sort of on the floor is well, just Well, it just helps too because it's like, oh, like it makes them feel like real performances. That it's not exactly, like Sam exactly. Worthington as blue person. You know, it's right. like, oh, like Sigourney Weaver's in it, but she's not really in it because she's an avatar. It's like, no, Sigourney Weaver's in it. Yes. Like Kate Winslet is in it. Mm-hmm. They don't look like humans. They have, you know, emotion and like they act, they like perform as human mm-hmm. care i mean i guess that's the way to put it but like they it, it works it works it, that it, way it feels like all the full dimensions of a lot like an in-person live action performance are all the little nuances it feels like are now kind of like perfectly captured in this mocap form it is not someone trying to do you know big expressive acting to sort of kind of it's not push through no or or even something as i mean i know we're so far beyond this at this point but like the Gollum performance, which is is still great, but is like, you know, Andy Serkis talking about in a lot of his mocap performances, like you really have to be like overly expressive mm-hmm. in order to sort of like the emotions to kind of come through in those performances. Yeah. And this feels like actors, I mean, maybe they did have to be like a little overly expressive, but it feels like very nuanced performances that these actors are trying to give and most of that is kind of coming through which is a little unbelievable yeah it's like that i would say like that and like the planet of the apes movies are like Mm -hmm. the two that get it right but even then planet of the apes like you're working with like a little bit more of like a primordial like being and like the navi are advanced and they're like you just get so much more from that because you're dealing with so much more objectively. It is pretty stunning because the, like that's, I, that is, that was my one thing coming in. I was like, it's going to be weird that Sam Worthington's not going to be like in this movie, in this movie. And it's like, Oh wait, no, no, he is. That's Sam Worthington. That's Zoe Saldana. You know, that's, but again, it's with the new characters where you really get that. Like, Oh, that's that actor. Mm-hmm. like that that's cliff curtis yeah that's my or like that's i almost called him miles lang that's stephen lang yeah do you want to talk about frame rate get get real get real nerdy here <sighs> this is weird Th- so okay um i feel like we have to kind of explain this to the listeners because even when i was trying to explain this to people like at work okay after after i saw this I can, like like i can it, do that okay okay Ex- explain frame rates to us okay. hunter movies uh, you see a movie in theaters. You watch, the movies. yeah, or you watch something on TV. Uh-huh. Um, that is going to be flashed at you. Basically, um, movies, TV, all of that. It's not real. It's not what? video. Video isn't real. It's not that video is a collection of still images that are playing so fast that your eyes cannot keep up with where it separates and where it ends and where it begins and such so at a point it creates the illusion of um of move of movement it's why cameras slash video cameras use the same like lenses because it's just frame 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 and the way in which it gets to that is 24 frames per second that's standard so it's flashing 24 separate but incredibly like similar images to like i don't know why i'm doing i'm I'm doing the visuals in the camera right now, but no one's going to be able to see that. Um, but it's flashing 24 frames per second. 
with the exception of a few movies. Um, now, one thing that you're seeing a lot of now on YouTube are like 60 frames per second videos. And you'll notice them when you're like, wow, they're like moving strange. Or it's like, that's really smooth. It's like kind of uncanny. That's because it's flashing almost three times the amount of frames within that same second. And it creates an even more immersive not even immersive but realistic sense of um movement uh not many films have utilized high frame rates in the sense of like projecting them in that there's been a few um there was i mean uh, peter jackson did it with the hobbit the hobbit movies, trilogy and then ang lee has done hit two Billy movies Lynn's that have been like long, this long halftime walk and gemini man which right. luckily no one saw either of those um I actually saw both of them. I but saw Gemini I, Man, but not Billy Lynn. Billy Lynn Billy Lynn was not good. Um, no. Well, I didn't either. They only released it outside of New York and LA in 2D. Yeah. Not high frame rate 3D, which I was like, just get the f*** out of here. Don't like advertise all that shit and then don't give it to us. I saw a Gemini Man in high frame rate 3D and it was weird because it did it. It wasn't a movie like this where it justifies it. Um. So basically what you're getting here is um there is a good portion of this film shot in 48 frames per second double what you're getting from 24 frames and it's going to look very smooth and un and not really quite cinematic that sounds like a dig and in some cases it is i don't think it necessarily helped the hobbit movies because the hobbit movies are incredibly cinematic they're very much so about the texture of the world and like the way the filmmaking goes and all of that avatar is not that it's more of like a window into another world as opposed to necessarily a uh kind of a film of traditional like wonder moments and so it really works in those moments when the high frame rate is utilized it's also not utilized for the entire film there are some right. scenes that are in 24 frames per second when it needs to be a little bit more pared back a little bit more cinematic so it goes back and forth it's a little noticeable at points because sometimes they'll do an entire sequence in high frame rate i would say very noticeable for me and then at least. they'll cut back to 24 frames and it's like this almost feels just like stuttery like what's wrong with the screen it's like no it just cuts back and forth but your eyes adjust to it it's fine not only that in if you're seeing it in high frame rate 3d it's flashing 96 frames per second at you because it's one per lens mm. so it's this whole thing um but basically yeah frames frame rate basically means the number of images you are getting per second and in avatar it goes back and forth between 24 and 48 um i i think i think the easiest sort of comparison for people like if motion they're smoothing. still if right is like if you go to best buy or like when you buy a new tv and it's got that motion smoothing um setting on and the the image almost looks like hyper real like yeah. the, the brightness and the clearness of it and everything feels like it's moving a little too fast but you can't quite put your finger on like yeah some, something feels off like that's kind of what a it's lot a of this sensory movie... thing it's yeah. not necessarily like it's it's hard to describe without seeing it but exactly one thing you can't do because youtube is very 60 frames per second friendly if you google like gemini man 60 frames per second they or, release or that you on... can look up i'm sure like the trailer for avatar 2 and see i don't like, know if they released an, an hfr version of it because some people can like ai 
upscale right. stuff to 60 frames per second and it kind of looks like shit but i do know that they did release an official version of gemini man and high frame rate online so you can if you go to youtube and like google gemini man like frame rate comparisons it'll show you the same scene 24 frames per second 60 frames per second and then gemini man i think went up to 120 but i only saw it in 60 yeah um, same but you can immediately see like oh that's what you're talking about cool mm -hmm. um and 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 the way it sort of bounces between kind of 48 here and 24 from what i kind of noticed like i i think i texted you and like a couple other friends of ours like it sort of reminded me of like seeing um some of christopher nolan's movies like dunkirk or um interstellar like in imax film and i was how... thinking more like dune because dune was really noticeable and like dune wasn't like okay let's do a 10 minute sequence in imax and then cut back to regular dune was the type of i'm or no not even dune transformers 4 where it's like okay reaction shot of somebody imax big movie scene regular and it goes back and forth back and forth back and forth like all the time it's not like mm -hmm. This one scene is an IMAX, then we'll cut back to regular anamorphic. It's like one, like it just goes back and forth, and it yeah. But the basically the way of like you know from what I remember seeing like Dunkirk and IMAX, like all of the big like sweeping vista shots or action shots all in IMAX. But then whenever Nolan basically has to do like an intimate one on one conversation with someone, it's thirty five millimeter, and being able to like very very like like your eye you're you're noticeable of that shift happening in the movie and that's kind of the way with avatar like i feel like cameron's pulling back to 24 frames per second whenever it's characters having like a, a sort of close-up conversation or kind of it, it needs to be a more intimate moment because he doesn't want to kind of fully distract your eyes um and wants you to pay more attention to the performance and but then whenever it is like an action set piece or like a sweeping wide shot or even just a scene that has a lot of movement in it then yeah. it goes to the 48 frames per yeah. second so i think the high frame well a so i didn't know it was high frame rate going into it they <laughs> I, I thought it was dolby 3d and then that fox logo came up that 20th century studios logo came up and i remember audibly going dude in the theater <laughs> I was like, oh no, here we go. But I think what works so well in this sense um, is kind of the lack of the human element mm. of of that. Because I think what happens with something like Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk or Gemini Man or even the Hobbit movies is when everything is so clear and so mm -hmm. smooth, when you're dealing with something that involves an actor and another actor doing things in the real world. You get that feeling of like, oh, this is someone making a movie. This is mm. someone, this is an actor playing a role. This yeah, isn't, I've, you know. I've heard it described as like, you, you're able to see that the actor is acting. Like, yeah, like I was like stuff. the entire time in Gemini Man, I was like, that's Will Smith just doing shit. It, it's so real that it looks fake. But I think in Avatar's sense, because everything almost everything is digitally rendered mm -hmm. and that everything almost everything involving human characters are rendered at 24 frames per second and everything else is 48 it works so much better that way and again as this kind of like 3d window into a world that is not real it i think it works 
really quite well. I'd like to see it in 24 frames per second, like an mm-hmm. IMAX or something, but it is a truly, in this case, a, a truly different way to see a movie. And Yeah, for, for me, it was a little bit of like a mixed feeling. I don't know that I'm totally sold on high frame rate as a future for movies though i'm i'm fascinated by cameron i i wish i could remember who i heard this from this was like a few years ago but like heard someone say like james cameron ang lee michael mann and i believe it was david fincher as like the four directors who are really like pushing the bar in terms of like i i have no interest in making my digital photography look like film i want to be able to like what 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 new aesthetic look can i get that's sort of like you could only get with a digital camera i would also argue deacons as a cinematographer Mm. has has really like done that for a long time he was kind of on the digital train before everyone else was on the digital train so by the time everyone else got on the digital train he was on another level of it he was Mm -hmm. sky falling about and doing all of that shit um so so I, i i admire that cameron is clearly like I want to push the technology. I want to like see it has to be what, sparingly used. Right. I mean sparingly used. I don't and, want like any like I don't want Kevin Feige to watch this and be like, "Oh, we have to give, you know, Joe so and so that we just like picked up off of like an A24 movie from like Sundance to shoot the next um Aardvark Man movie in high frame rate or something." You yeah. know, I you I don't want them to do that, but I think in cases like this where it is almost all digital rendering mm-hmm. it works in that sense the second you start including human characters and the second we start trying to pull this off with like stuff that's shot on real sets with real people and all of that it's gonna start getting annoying it's well, it's just well, like here's... 3d you have to use it in the right context yeah well here's where it kind of broke down for me of i think like the the sections of the movie where it really worked for me were the underwater sections yes um and and I think the section still on land or in the forest, those, I I think I still struggle if there's something about kind of like the smoothness of the movement feels kind of uh, like ironically kind of jerky to me in a way of just like, I, I don't know, there's still something about like in a lot of this movie, the high frame rate kind of taking me out whenever it would switch to it. Well, but the exception being yeah. the underwater sequences, which I think nail both the movement of water as just like an element like water is you not mean the way like... of water <laughs> yes it it nails quote-unquote the way of water um because water is not this like stagnant thing it like moves on its own and you know it moves as objects and creatures are are sort of swimming around in it but also sort of nailing kind of the weightlessness of objects and creatures in the water and that was something i had like never seen that kind of detail captured it's borderline imax documentary like right like that just like i saw someone post this on twitter the other day but like someone was like all right disney plus y'all need to make a fake nature documentary about pandora and get richard attenborough to like Mm. do that shit because they already have them they already have like stuff with richard attenborough on like the nat geo section of disney plus like come on that's lucrative that is lucrative let me fall asleep to this material yeah and and so i think that this just the way that the high frame rate is able to capture 
as I said, just the detail of water. Like I, I did not walk out of this movie with the the feeling of, I, and I knew that it was going to be in in high frame rate going in, or I knew that 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 was a way that it was going to be shown in some places. I didn't know if the screening I went to was going to do it, but I I would not say I walked out feeling like, oh, Big Jim did it. He's he's sort of worked out all the kinks with this technology and like this is the future right here. But walked out feeling like I feel like there's there's still some as I said kind of kinks to work out with this technology, but I feel like whether intentional or not, honestly probably intentional because of like how smart he is, but like he he found an environment for this technology to really like soar and work beautifully. And that's like all the water stuff here. Yeah. Um, I will say there is this, there is a moment towards the end of the movie where Jake and Cordich are fighting mm-hmm. and there is a close up of both of their faces while one of them is in a chokehold mm-hmm. and it, it looked like a video game. Right. I think that's the other problem for me is kind of in a lot of other places as dazzling as like, the the water sequences are in the high frame rate or just being i was able i was like it's giving cutscene, wonderful yes. gorgeous ps7 cutscene. but yeah. like there are other sections of this movie where the high frame rate as you said just makes everything look like an advertisement for a video game or a yeah. cutscene from a video game i mean there is a new video game real. coming <laughs> yeah <laughs> but like again I, I i would like to see this in regular Mm-hmm. regular like imax 3d no frame rate and see how that like affects stuff um but again i do think like if you are going into this in the same way that you are going into like you went into avatar because you're like this movie apparently the 3d is incredible i don't really I'm not that familiar with 3d but you want to see a way in which someone utilizes it in a in a manner that isn't just a gimmick then give it a try give it i'd say go for it i think it's a it's a very interesting and new way to see movies that being said it is an incredibly and i mean an incredibly narrow field of what it's appropriate for well um do you have any kind of like final avatar thoughts before we we kind of wrap up any any predictions for how this movie is going to do at the box office obviously james cameron has sort of well they just released the first um yeah they just released the first what's it called Um, i mean he has said this movie needs to make sort of like basically around the same amount of money which is like two billion dollars as the first one in order to be seen as profitable by the studio um i don't know if you have any larger thoughts about where this fits in with kind of the larger james cameron filmography and what your favorite james cameron movies are yeah um it does not fit into my top James Cameron films. It just doesn't. Um, it's not while Aliens and uh, and Term- Terminator Two and just any in Titanic. Titanic's right. probably my favorite one. Like, Th- those exists. are probably the three masterpieces yeah. for me. I I um, think I would put both Avatar movies along with Terminator One in kind of the second tier yes. of his work of like very fun not movies I revisit all the times and think are these like perfect diamonds, but are like very fun sci-fi action movies. And then, you know, third tier would be like true lies in the abyss. If, if you can even find them, cause those yeah. are two hard movies to find, but like two of his more movies that have their moments, but are two of his more flawed blockbusters. And then we 
probably the less said about his documentary work and Piranha 2 the better. Honestly, I don't mind the documentary work. I think it's fine because they're obviously like hour-long IMAX documentaries that mm-hmm. they're not trying to be like super deep. Um, but yeah, I, I, I the, agree. The Titanic one at least has the very surreal moment where like Cameron gets out of the sub bubble and is like, why is everyone look down? And Bill Paxton's like, Jim, something terrible has happened. It's the worst terrorist attack in human history. And like 9-11 happened while they were down, just like messing around on the Titanic. It does have that weird surreal moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say it's just, it very much so fulfills the same, um, it, it fulfills the same brief that I think the first Avatar film did and that it just, really does open you up to this like new world of kind of technical like a technical marvel and i think we always knew it was going to be that but once finally seeing it on the big screen in every format that it was supposed to be seen in that's when it made sense did i love it no it was still like okay cool you still aren't a good screenwriter and again, um, why are we, you know, like you finally brought on a second screenwriter for once, but you brought on uh, <laughs> Rick Joffa and Amanda Silver. Like, they're not the worst, but like, they're not good enough to um, offset your screenwriting abilities. <laughs> um, but like, again, I guess if you're doing the shit that uh, James Cameron's doing, you, the screen time is not what you're worried about. Um but I will say it has me very excited to see what he does with number three. Um, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what what comes up. I mean, I want to know what what um what environments we're going to next. I want to see mm, Desert Avatar. I want to see like mm, Dune, but with Navi. Mm, like either desert or like I don't. You know. think there's snow Navi? That sounds. Oh, that's a good one too. Oh, I that'd want be the real... Arctic Avatar. The that way of frozen fun. water. Um, yeah, that would be fun. We, I don't, I don't want us to go near the desert because big, big Jim likes to get wet, and we, I need some water for big Jim to, yeah, to, to wade in. Yeah, no, but a snow Snavi would be very yes. fun. Um, <laughs> that would be. I would. I would like that actually. Um. But no, I'm just like, it opened the potential for what this series could be kind of going forward is still kind of infinite. And even though the movie is like fine, even though technical Marvel, amazing, like you got to see it, even though the movie itself is still fine. Mm -hmm. um, It brought forth feelings about blockbuster films that I haven't felt in a long time. Mm -hmm. um in terms of just like y'all are like for once it feels like someone's putting some goddamn effort into things and i i I don't want to say that because again they're good i mean it is kind of like the david the the like tagline of david sims review in the the atlanta which is like finally a like full meal or something like that yeah like like finally (laughs) like if we're gonna do something all in cgi like again you know, we want to go to Matt Reeves for the Batman. Perfect. It's great because he's doing a lot of stuff in camera. There's not a lot of CGI. He's like really doing it filmmaking style. If we're going to be doing movies all CGI, can we at least make them like this? Hunter, as always, it's delightful to have you on on the podcast. 
coming up next week, uh, I believe we're going to have a, a friend of ours, Josh Martin's going to. Uh, is it come. Babylon Week? Jo- it's going to be Babylon Week. Josh Josh Martin and I uh, st- defending Damien Chazelle's wild have perverted me here and I'll, I'll fight. I'll fight. So, actually, I didn't hate Babylon, but like some people have. I'm reading some brutal king reviews on it I, right now. I am too and i'm i'm here to to dig my feet in the sand and uh echo chamber echo chamber echo fight, chamber fight for this movie in all of its you're like, not gonna have to lurid, fight for it. lurid silliness um <laughs> i can't really defend the parts of it that are a bit like much that don't work but um they at least like made me giggle in my seat by the have sheer, you already like, talked gumption. about the whale on here yes that was last week gross <laughs> basically basically um and i'm i think uh josh and i are gonna you know talk spoilers in terms of glass onion because we did kind of a spoiler free segment out of tiff but now that it'll be on netflix and everyone can see it we can god that's uh, next week god that's the details it yeah. freaks me out how soon christmas is um yeah yeah uh that's fun though i yeah. i need to i need to watch glass onion Maybe I'll show it to my family. For I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I'm waiting. That's, I think that's going to be the Nussman family Christmas. That's, that's kind of ideal. It's on Netflix. It's, yeah. it's, it's a comedy. 